Good morning. So good to see everyone here this morning, as uh, Brother Chris announced. So good to see my my brethren, but we have a lot of visitors again, and we're certainly very thankful to, to have you visiting with us and encouraged by that, encouraged in your interest in God and His Word and what His Word has to say. And um, we're going to continue as we enter into this portion of our, our service where we're going to open God's Word and we're going to consider what it has to say to us and uh, strive to hopefully make some change, <clears throat> which is what our lesson is about this morning. I'd like us to spend some time this morning examining change in our life, personal change, individual change, that we know as most of us as being Bible students for many years, um, we know that the God has called upon us in his word to change. We're called to grow. We're told that we should be like newborn babes desiring the milk and, and growing and and eating solid food, and that we shouldn't still be drinking the milk, and there should be growth there. Um, we're instructed about putting off the old man and, and putting on the new man. So as Christians, we know this, and I think probably in our own personal lives, uh, we're very familiar with this idea of change. Right? We all have things in our life we want to change, and usually we'll set goals to that, and you know, a lot of times that comes around New Year's with resolutions, and but it doesn't have to. It can come at any time of the year where we decide that this is something I need to change. And most of the time, we would view that as something that we're trying to improve, something we're trying to get better at. But I think uh, the one thing that we'll see today in our study is that is not always change for good. Sometimes changes in our life are for the worse, and they make us a worse person. And so this morning, I think we're going to see several things about this idea of change that maybe sometimes we don't always want to admit to, uh, or the world has maybe surrounded us or bombarded us with ideas like, you can't change, or you're too old, or you've done that too long, or you, know, you were born that way, you can't improve. There's a lot of uh, myths out there that the world likes to share about us being able to change, and they're just not true. And so... I'd like to uh, be able to examine some of those things this morning. I think also a thing that I'd like you to be thinking about is can change happen unintentionally? In other words, I didn't set out to become this type of person or to create this type of habit, but somewhere along the way, all of a sudden, I'm doing this. And I think there's some truth to that. And I think we'll see that happen as well. And that still comes back to our choice and our behavior and how we act and us being careful about what's in our life and how we're being influenced. But those type of things can happen. And so I'd like to talk about that a little bit this morning as well. If you have your Bible, I certainly want to encourage you to open it. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a, a Bible in the pew in front of you. And we're opening to the Old Testament, Genesis, the first book of the Bible, in chapter 38. If, again, you're using a Bible in the pew, that's page 27 of the Bible in the pew. And I certainly want to encourage you to open to the Bible. And if you have the ability to take notes, I certainly would encourage that as well. And this morning, we're going to study the life of Judah. I'm going to do something a little bit different. This was 
this is a little bit of a challenging of a lesson to me. I knew this was a lesson I've been wanting to preach for some time, and um, but uh, it was a little bit of a challenge to me to, to kind of put it together and decide how I wanted to present it in, in, in my effort to be clear. And certainly, one way we're going to be clear is we're going to very much stay attuned to the Bible. And so again, that's why I encourage you to open to the Bible and, and follow along. And we're going to pretty much stay in Genesis. I'll, I'll reference a couple of verses, but primarily in Genesis, the last part of Genesis, and primarily in chapter 38. But one thing I'm going to do that's a little bit different is I'm going to give you all the points. Okay? And maybe that'll be a mistake. Maybe you know, if I see Kevin walking out back there after he gets the points, um, I know I did the wrong thing. But I'm going to give you all the points to the lesson. And I hope that as we go through the study of Judah and we read about Judah, you'll see some of these things. And you'll say, yeah, I see what, what that point being made there. And maybe you'll, again, you'll see some things that, that I didn't see. And certainly I'd love to hear from you and, and what you would see from the study. Because it's a really interesting study. And it's, it's really just sitting in the middle of the story about Joseph that uh, when I first studied this, it just kind of set me back. It didn't, you know, kind of forgot this, this chapter and the story of Judah was there. So, um, here they are. First thing that I'd like us to consider, what are some lessons, again, studying this life of Judah, that we can learn about change? And, and first and foremost is that anyone can change. Anyone can change at any time. So any myth out there that says, oh, I'm too old to change, or I've been doing this too long, or uh, or I'm just too deep in my ways and set in my ways. I just can't change. Uh, that would be incorrect. And I think we'll see that in the life of Judah, especially when you see the different transitions he makes and how far deep into some of the things he gets himself into, and yet he changes. And uh, so again, the, the first and very important point is that we can all change. And it doesn't matter if... You are a really good and righteous man. You can change and become a very evil man. And vice versa. And thank God for his patience and his mercy and his grace. That if we are willing to change, if we will make that choice and will change in our life, that, that he will accept us. And, and what a blessing that is. But it certainly takes action and effort and responsibility on our part. The second point is that a person can change multiple times throughout their life. And you will see this demonstrated in Judah, who is raised in a godly home and becomes one of the most wicked men in some of his actions you'll ever find, and yet comes back and serves his family and serves God and is blessed by God for it. So there is, if, if it's out there, it's a myth that, you know, oh, once I've changed, I can't change back. It's, that's the way I am. That's not true. We can change uh, and will change multiple times. The third point, as I mentioned a moment ago, is that change can be intentional. I think most of us are aware of that. You want to change your diet. You want to change something at work. You want to spend more time with your family. Uh, you realize these things are positive things and they're going to benefit me. They're going to benefit my family. They're going to benefit my workplace. And so I make an effort. I'm intentional about it, and I make those changes. Right? But I think also sometimes change happens, and it's unintentional. 
And again, you'll see this in Judah, but just to give you kind of an idea where I'm going with this. If you choose a friend, can that friend influence you? Can that friend change you? We know the Bible tells us that that can happen, right? So when I chose to befriend this person and I'm going to start spending time with this person, was it my goal to necessarily become like that person or to change and be like that person? Probably not. You know, probably just befriending the person and, and building a relationship. But if we're not careful, and, and again, the Bible in, in 1 Corinthians tells us that we will be influenced by those that we spend time with. And we could be a very righteous man and be influenced by a very wicked man and we could be changed. And that may have never been our intent. So we need to know, number one, that we are always in control. So even those unintentional changes, we still have to, we're still in control of that. And we got to be careful and we got to be on guard and we got to do the work. And then the last point is that we all are going to change. And that's, that's inevitable. And again, you might think, oh, I've been a Christian for 30 years. I grew up in the church. I am what I am. I'm not going to change. And that would be a dangerous statement to make. We have work to do until our lives are finished. Otherwise, Satan, as we talked about in class this morning, the roaring lion that wants to devour us and is roaming around the earth, uh, he's going to take advantage of that type of arrogance that we might have to think that, Oh, we could never change, or we could never become uh, wicked, or we could never turn from God. And the fact of the matter is, we are all either getting better or worse. There is no just standing still and saying, well, I've got to this point, and I'm done. I'm not going to improve, I'm not going to get any worse, but I'm just, I'm here. That just doesn't happen. And I think if we're all really honest with ourselves, and we might have to look over a span of, five, six, seven years of our life. But if you can look back and you can think about the type of person you were five, seven, ten years ago, are you the same person? I don't think so, right? In lots of different ways. And then certainly, where would you examine yourself and see yourself spiritually? Are you the same person? Are you the same servant of God now that you were five years ago, three years ago, ten years ago? I certainly would hope not, because as we talked about at the beginning, we have a responsibility to grow. But if I'm honest and I do look back and I say, I'm not as strong as I once was. I'm not as involved. I'm not as active. I'm not serving God the way I once did. Why is that? Maybe it's been slow, small increments over years of time that has gotten me here. And if that's where I've gotten in the last three years, where am I going to be three years from now if I continue on that path? It's not going to change unless I change, right? I've got to make some changes. So uh, as you think about that and you examine yourself, you, you ask yourselves questions like, am I a better Bible student? Am I more holy now than I was five years ago? Am I closer to God? Am I closer to my brethren? Am I a better servant? Am I doing more work in the church? Or am I just the same person? Maybe I just show up and I leave. I don't engage with my brethren. I don't study my Bible during the week. And I've just been doing that year after year after year and I haven't grown. So hopefully we'll see, we see today in our study of Judah that we're going to change. 
the question, as our title slide said, will it be for better or will it be for worse? And hopefully, spiritually, we're going to change for the better. Then the second section I have here is, is some things that I think you'll see in Judah's life caused him to change. And one aspect, he was very selfish. He was very much concerned about profit, gain, um, satisfying his own desires and needs and doing his own thing. And he thought about himself. And that caused him to change. It caused him to, to steer away from his family and from God. And at the end, he's thinking more about others. He's thinking about his father. He's concerned for his father. He's concerned that his father might lose Benjamin after he's already lost Joseph, and that might kill him. And he doesn't want that to happen. And so he's had a change. Second thing that we see here is his worldly desires. He, he certainly desired things in the world. And that caused him to change to be a different person. Uh, at one point, he's going to question his own righteousness. And, and we'll see that, that statement. And, and he'll have to ask himself, you know, am I truly righteous before God? And that's going to cause him to change. We know James 1 talks about our desires. Each of us have different desires. And it's those desires that, if we're not careful, they give birth to sin. And we can certainly have spiritual, righteous, holy desires. Desires to be more godly and to be more like Christ and to grow. And if our desires are there, we're, we're going to see that type of change in our life. Good relationships and bad relationships. And we see, we'll see Judah engaged in a relationship with a friend of his. And there's not a lot said about it, but it certainly doesn't help him. It certainly didn't make him a better person, and so we'll, we'll see that. And certainly we have to ask ourselves, the relationships that we're in, what are they doing for us? And all these things, again, are dependent upon our choices and the, we having, us having control over those choices. So that is a, an important thing. Okay, so again, hopefully you have your Bible open to Genesis chapter 38. I'm going to give a little context. Uh, you don't have to turn to these chapters, but... If, again, you know, most of you that are Bible students, if I said, okay, Genesis, the last 13, 14 chapters of the book, what's it about? Most of us would say Joseph. And we would be right in doing that because all of these chapters, primarily, except for this one chapter, are about Joseph, starting in chapter 37, where Joseph will be sold into slavery. And he's going to go through so many different trials, and, and we know this story well. He remains faithful to God, and God's going to use him. He's going to rise to power in Egypt. And in the end, he's going to be able to save his family during this time of famine. And it's a, it's a wonderful and encouraging story, a story about and an example about endurance and, and faith in God and trust in God and, and working through challenges. And, it, and it's an absolute beautiful story. And so that's chapter 37. Now, if we skipped chapter 38 and went right to chapter 39, Joseph's story would just continue. At the end of 37, he's, he's sold into slavery, and you jump to chapter 39, and, and he's sold off to Potiphar in Egypt. But in the middle there is chapter 38. And this chapter really has nothing to do with Joseph. It is all about Judah. And Judah is, is quite the opposite, the character that Joseph is, right? 
He is an evil man. He is wicked. Uh, but we will see as we get back to the story of Joseph and his family that Judah changes. He matures, and in the end, he is blessed by God. And so this, too, is a wonderful story, a story of man changing for good and showing us and encouraging all of us and reminding us that we all can change. So prior to getting into some of the context, again, and specifically Judah in chapter 37, There is a lot to this family, and most of us are familiar with with this context. Jacob, as you know, worked seven years hoping to gain Rachel as his wife, and he's he's tricked, and so he works, and he ends up marrying Leah, who is Judah's mom. He works another seven years, and and he marries Rachel. And so, um, 12 children, or 12 sons, I should say, and, and Judah is the fourth son of Leah. And we're told in in Genesis chapter 37 that Joseph is 17 years of age at this time. And I couldn't find a specific age, but they guesstimate that that Judah was around 21 years of age. So about a four-year difference in this. But remember, there were a lot of difficulties, right, in this family. Uh, Starting with uh, Jacob being tricked and, and, and marrying Leah first. And now he has two wives and and. He cannot, Rachel cannot have children, and so Leah's having children, and she thinks that's going to solve the issue. And uh, I mean, there's a whole other lesson there that just teaches us about, you know, what God designed from the beginning. <laughs> and it certainly wasn't this. And it caused problems. It, it caused challenges. And so, in my mind, I was trying to think, what all did Judah see? He saw favoritism. He saw Jacob love Joseph more and and give him a coat of many colors. And who knows what other problems and challenges he saw in his family. And he's seeing that and witnessing that. And this text in chapter 37 tells us that all the brothers hated Joseph. They hated him because Jacob loved him more than any other. And that Jacob gave them a coat of many colors. Um, that Jacob would send Joseph out and have Joseph report on their behavior. And Joseph would come back and say, well, they're they're not working in the way they should, or or whatever bad report it was, he would bring that back. And so Judah is is angry, and he's frustrated, along with all of his brothers, and and they are just, the, the amount of hate for Joseph is just building. So there's no doubt that Judah had some challenges and some difficulties and some things he had to work through. But at the end, none of those were acceptable excuses for how he lived. He still had choice. And he could do with whatever uh, he wants with his circumstances. And he wasn't let off the hook by God and allowed to, to live a wicked life just because of these things that happened. So in chapter 37... Uh, after we have kind of this context about how they feel about Joseph, Jacob sends Joseph off again to report on the brothers. And the brothers see Joseph from afar off. And they begin to conspire. They're angry. And what do they conspire? They're going to conspire to kill Joseph. And again, Reuben, the oldest brother, stands up and says, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into a pit. Okay? 
I guess better than killing him, but still not a real good thing, right? To throw your brother into a pit. And as he gets closer, they agree to that, and they strip off his coat of many colors, and they throw him into this pit. We're told later in Genesis that, that Joseph pled with them and begged them not to do this thing. And again, I just imagine your own brother or your sister or someone you're that close with, and you're doing this great evil thing, and they're pleading with you to not do this. And yet they, they went through with it. So Reuben obviously had an idea, as the text tells us, that he convinces them, let's not kill them, let's throw him in the pit. And Reuben had planned, I'll return later and I'll pull him out of the pit and I'll save him. But before that can happen, we're introduced to Judah. And the first thing that we learn about Judah, verse 26, they see a caravan coming and Judah says to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother? Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. So here's the first great idea that Judah has. Let's sell our brother. Yeah, we could kill him. And I thought we were past killing him, right? Reuben had convinced him we're not going to kill him. But Judah's still talking about killing him. And yet he says, well, what profit is it for us in that? We'll get what we want. He'll be out of the picture. But we're not going to profit from it. Let's profit from this as well. Let's get rid of him and let's profit. Then, of course, you know the rest of the story. They sell him and then they, they put uh, blood on, on the coat of many colors and they take that back and they deceive their father. They lie to their father. They, they send their, their father to, to utter heartbreak. So, again, how can they do that? How can Judah... Um, do this type of thing uh, it's, it t- starts to give you a little insight to his character so now we get to chapter 38 and I'm not going to read through this chapter verse by verse so I'm just going to kind of highlight but I'll point out verses so you can kind of follow along as I said earlier let's not forget that this man Judah who we're going to talk about in chapter 38 so you've seen one little inkling of, of where his mind is with how he wants to treat his brother. But he's going to take it to a whole other level here in chapter 38. But let's not forget that this Judah was raised by Jacob. He was raised by a godly man. He was raised in a godly home. You don't think he knew about God? You don't think he knew about righteousness? You don't think he knew about obedience and trust and faith and all those things? I believe he would have. And yet, what we are going to see in this chapter is he's going to depart from all that. And it starts right in verse 1, when it says, And it came to pass at that time, Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adamite whose name was Hira. So, mistake number one. He is going to separate himself from his godly family and you could say, well, how godly were these, these brothers really anyway when they wanted to kill Joseph? And certainly you could make that point. But he is, he is separating from any type of righteous, godly family and friends and relationships that he does have. And he's going to leave them. He's going to depart from them. He's going to go spend time with this individual named Hira. And we don't know much about Hira. I tried to look him up and, and the Adumites, and there's, there's really just not much out there about him. But what I can tell you is he's not going to stop or discourage 
Judah from marrying this Canaanite woman in just a moment. He's not going to stop or discourage Judah from being with a harlot later on. And in fact, he's going to help Judah out later by taking the goat that Judah had promised the harlot. So even though we don't know much about him, I think it's safe to say he wasn't a good influence, he wasn't a good encouragement, and he certainly didn't discourage him from doing wrong. And so this is who he's now spending time with. Verse 2, And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he married her and went into her. So, interesting, we don't know anything about this girl either. She's not even named. We know she's the daughter of a man named Shua, and she's a Canaanite. Well, what do we know about that? Well, God, throughout his word, over and over, instructs, do not marry foreign women, right? And you say, well, maybe that's not around. No, you can go back to Genesis chapter 24, twice in chapter 28. God made it very clear, and specifically, the Canaanite woman. In those chapters, do not marry a Canaanite, is what God instructed. And so here is uh, a second mistake now, right, that Judah is making, marrying a Canaanite woman. So they marry, uh, and they have children. And keep in mind that this chapter kind of encompasses about 20 to maybe 25 years, hard to say, but we do know that at the beginning, Joseph is 17 years of age. Later, when we come back to Joseph and he's about to take authority in Egypt, he's 30 years. And then there was seven good years and seven bad years. So we're talking about somewhere between 20 to 30 years. And so again, this chapter is kind of compressing a lot of events over a long period of time. Which goes again to the point that over a long period of time, what can happen? If you're not on guard, you're not careful. So he has these these three sons, and this is what we're told about them. So Judah, verse this is verse six, took a wife of Er, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. That's all we know about it, right? But not not very good, and so. Here is this young man, I don't know exactly his age, old enough to be married, but again, you know, probably in his uh, early 20s, maybe late teens. uh, And in this short period of his life, whatever he did, however he lived, he was so wicked that God took his life right there. And it was better in God's sight that Tamar be widowed and without a husband than to have this man as her husband. Doesn't say much for heir and certainly doesn't say much for Judah as a father. He said, well, that's just one son. Well, let's keep reading. And Judah said to Onan, the second son, go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. This was tradition. This is what they would do. We know that. Verse 9, but Onan knew that the heir would not be his. And it came to pass, when he went into his brother's wife, he admitted on the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother. Verse 10, And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, therefore he killed him also. Two brothers, two sons, both dead, 
both taken instantly and killed because what they did and how they lived was displeasing to God. And this tells me God knew their heart and God knew that they were wicked and God knew they were not going to change and they were taken. And then later in verse 12, um, we see that uh, his wife, Judah's wife, Shua, is going to die as well. Again, how long have they been married? We, we don't really know for sure, but enough time to have three sons, raise three sons, two of the age to marry. And it was also told um, to Tamar by Judah, um, wait until my third son is old enough and you will marry him. So Tamar did that. So she's waiting for this, this third son. So after his wife dies, he is in mourning and he's wanting to look to be comforted. And verse 12 says he goes back to his friend Hira. So again, here's Hira. And we're going to see another sinful act on the behalf of Judah. And Hira doesn't seem to do anything to stop it. And that sinful act begins in verse 15. Uh, so tomorrow, waiting for the third son, and noticing that the third son is now old enough to take on the responsibility to be her husband, to take care of her so she's not a widow, and yet Judah hasn't done anything. And so Judah has failed to keep his promise to tomorrow, and, and he's failed um, to give her the third son. And so Tamar decides on a plan that is pretty wicked herself. She hears about her father-in-law coming up to the sheep in Tima, and so she's going to take her garments and put on the garments of a harlot and wait for her father-in-law to come by. And so verse 16, excuse me, verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot. So she had done what she wanted to do. She convinced him that she was a harlot. And what does Judah do? Does he turn away? Does he say, oh, this is a harlot. I need to, to get away from this. No, he goes to her and says, please let me come into you. And, of course, she asks, well, what will you give me? And he says, I'll give you a goat from the flock. And she says, well, what are you going to give me as a pledge? In verse 18, he says... Uh, or excuse me, he asked, what do you want? She says, your signet and cord and your staff. Would this point be maybe a point where you say, okay, that's going to kind of jar my mind. That's, you know, this was wrong to begin with. And this would be really wrong to give these, these items up. No, he says, it says he gave it to her. And he goes in with her and she conceives by him. So more sin, more giving in to his desires uh, rather than being wise or being concerned about others or be con being concerned about righteousness. Um, how about being concerned about your, your third son, your only son that's still alive? That son just lost their mother. And you're more concerned about yourself than you are in comforting your son. So we get uh, some... More information then about uh, Judah sending his friend, Hira, to give the goat. And he can't find her. And he asks people there, and the people say, no, there's, there's no harlot here. And so he returns back. 
So verse 24 tells us that about three months have passed, and Judah is told, tomorrow your daughter-in-law has pledged, excuse me, has played the harlot, and furthermore she is with child by harlotry. So, so maybe Judah, not being the greatest man of himself, maybe he has some compassion. This is his daughter-in-law. Maybe he wants to find out what's going on. And yet, no, that's not what he says. Uh, verse 24, so Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. And so did she do wrong? Was she unrighteous? Absolutely. But had Judah been unrighteous? Absolutely. Was he playing some hypocrisy here? Uh, that's for sure. So then Tamar says, well, I am uh, with child by the man that these things belong. <laughs> and what things are those? That's the signet, the cord, the staff. And now this, to me, might be the most important statement in this chapter. Verse 26. So Judah acknowledged them and said, she has been more righteous than I. I don't know if this is the exact moment. I don't know if it's a combination of all these things. I mean, watching two of your children be struck and killed by God certainly would cause you to think. Losing your wife would cause you to think. Seeing what your daughter-in-law has done would cause you to think. But... Maybe it's all these things, maybe it's this one event, but he has recognized that this woman who played a harlot, his daughter-in-law, who conceived a child with him, is more righteous than he is. That's not saying much. And so, we don't really know much about Judah until we get into some of the upcoming chapters, which we'll touch about in a second. But from this point on, we start to see some, some small, simple changes about Judah and his life. And, of course, the end of this chapter is um, Tamar giving birth. And she gives birth to twins, Perez and Zerah. And so we're going to talk more about that because that comes along with the blessing that is given to Judah later on. So, as we said... Um, about 20 to 30 years, somewhere in that time frame, has passed uh, through this chapter. Uh, maybe maybe probably closer to 20 years, because when we pick back up with chapter 39, the story is back with Joseph. And Joseph uh, is, in these next couple chapters, working through all of his trials and difficulties and temptations. And, and he is uh, faring well and, and giving his service to God. And chapter 41 verse 46 that is where we're told joseph is 30 years of age so we know at that point there's been 13 years passed um, and then of course the seven years of good and the seven years of famine are coming so there's 14 more years so approximately joseph is around 44 years of age it's been around 27 years that his brothers have seen him that judah has seen him and so now we're going to get back to uh, the end of this, this book where they reconnect. So chapter 42, Jacob, there's a severe famine as we know, and we know that God used Joseph uh, for this, but the famine is so bad that Jacob sends his sons to Egypt for food. And of course, Joseph recognizes his brothers immediately. 
they don't recognize him. He does a lot of different things that we're not going to spend the time going through, but you can read about those things in chapter 42. But in the end, he binds Simeon, and he wants them to go bring Benjamin back. He asked them a lot of questions about the family. And so they go back with the food, and they get back, and they realize the money's in their sack, and they don't have Simeon. He's being held, and they tell their father, we have to take Benjamin. And, of course, Jacob's response is no. I can't lose my, my youngest son. And in that chapter, Reuben makes an interesting request. In verse 37, he's basically telling Jacob, look, trust me. I'll, I'll take care of this. I'll take care of Benjamin. We'll go back with Benjamin. We'll get Simeon. We'll make these things right. And I'll do that. And what's his offer in verse 37? If I can't do this, you can kill my two sons. That seems like a strange offer to me, that you would offer your sons. Um, maybe he was that confident <laughs> that he would uh, be able to do that. Maybe he was trying to emphasize to Jacob that there's nothing to worry about because I would never want my two sons to be killed. But I just think that's interesting. I think it's an interesting contrast when we get to chapter 43. And the famine has gotten worse. And they need food again. So Jacob comes to the brothers and says, go back to Egypt. And now it's Judah that is talking to Jacob. Now remember, Reuben is the oldest. It made sense that Reuben would, would take charge and be the leader and, and and make a commitment. But Judah is the fourth oldest. And it's Judah now that says to Jacob, we cannot go. You know, the man promised us that we would bring Benjamin. And it's kind of an interesting dialogue because Jacob says, well, why would you even tell him? <laughs> why would you tell him we had another son? And Judah's response is, how are we to know? You know, he asked us questions about our family. We told him we would have never guessed he would require us to bring Benjamin. But here is the difference between Judah and Reuben. What does Judah offer? He says, I will take care of this. I will take Benjamin. Put this on me. I will take responsibility. I will make sure. And he offers himself as a surety. And he says specifically, I will bear the blame forever. Very different from, from Reuben, right? Offering his sons. Judah says... I will take responsibility. I will bear the blame if anything happens to Benjamin. Does that sound like the same man we just read about? This sounds like a man who actually cares about other people. He cares about his family. He knows they need food. He knows his father is, is going to die if anything happens to Benjamin. And he's willing to take on full responsibility for that. And I don't know if it was the lack of food or if it was Judah's uh, confidence or his uh, uh, offer to, to pledge himself. I'm not sure which one it was, but Jacob agrees. And so they go back. And again, we're not going to read the entire story, but there's a lot to that context in chapter 44 as they return. And, and Joseph is, is seeing Benjamin. He's starting to weep. And, and yet Joseph is still doing some things. You know, he sends him off and he puts his silver cup in, in Benjamin's uh, bag and then they chase him down and they accuse them of stealing and, and so on. So now they're bringing them all back. And now it, it doesn't look good. Right? He's stolen from the, the Pharaoh or, or one of very high authority as the Pharaoh. And what's going to happen? 
And you think about what Judah promised his father and what he knows will happen to his father if anything happens to Benjamin. And we won't read this entire section, but starting in verse 16 of chapter 44, that is where Judah just unloads everything to Benjamin. He tells the entire story. And he starts off in verse 16. Judah said, what, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Reuben makes a statement like that at one point too. That God knows what we did. And we're, we're being repaid for that. And, and I think that's what, what Judah is saying here. And imagine Joseph hearing that. And seeing his brother, the one that said, let's sell him. Let's make a profit off of him. And now he hears him saying, God has found the iniquity of your servants. What a, a striking difference there, right? So he goes on to plead with Joseph. He goes on to uh, explain the entire story and the concern for his father. And then let's jump down to verse 32. This is where he again is offering himself starting with what he told his father. Verse 32, For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame forever, my father forever. Verse 33, Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. I mean, does that sound anything like Judah that you read just a moment ago in chapter 38. He is saying, please, let me take Benjamin's place. Please, let me be your slave. I will be your personal slave. He's willing to sacrifice for his family here. He is a, a different man. And then finally, the thing that, that shows us that Joseph changed comes if you skip over a few chapters to chapter 49. In chapter 49, Jacob is towards the end of his life, and he is given some prophecies about his sons. And look what it says about Judah. And if you just read chapter 38, you wouldn't necessarily think this would be what Jacob would prophesy about him. But this is what he says about him. Verse 8, Judah, you are he whom your brother shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him he shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. So there's, there's a lot there. They identify the blessings that Judah is going to receive, but the greatest blessing is that his lineage is going to lead to Christ. And again, if you want to turn, you can. I'm just going to read the first couple of verses of Matthew chapter 1, which gives the genealogy to Christ. Matthew 1, verse 1, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Verse 3, 
Judah begot Perez. Remember Perez? Perez and Zerah, the twins of Tamar. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez begot Herzon. And it continues on until we get to Christ. What a what an amazing and wonderful blessing that Judah got to be a part of the lineage of Christ. So there's our, our lessons about Judah. And you may have, have gained something else from those. Um, but certainly we learn that anyone can change. No matter how wicked, no matter how righteous you are, you can change. You have the ability to change. If you're wicked, there needs to be a choice involved there. If you're, if you're not saved, there needs to be a choice there to choose God and to choose salvation. A person can change multiple times. Just because you grew up as a Christian doesn't mean you will remain a Christian. Just because you fell away doesn't mean you will remain, fallen away. You can come back. You can change. Changes are absolutely intentional. Those are our choices. But we have to be really careful about everything in our life. Because unintentional change can happen as well. And we're all going to change, for better or for worse. I'd like to end with just... Four more things that I gained from this study of Judah. First and foremost, when I read this study, I, I feel hope. I hope you felt that too. There is, there's hope for all of us. If we need to change, we can. We can be the person God wants us to be. We can be the servant that God wants us to be. And he'll accept us when we're willing to do that. That gives me personal hope. It gives me hope for my children. That gives me hope for my brethren. That gives me hope to the lost world. That gives me hope to our brethren that we've had here that have fallen away. They can return and God will accept them. And and there's no shame in being wrong and and changing and and desiring to be right. It's it's actually a, a wonderful rejoicing. The second thing that this teaches me is that I have to be on guard because subtle little things what I watch, what I read who I spend time with where I work little small things that I think oh that's really not a very big deal over time those things can change the person I am so I gotta be on guard I have to be careful about every little thing in my life and I gotta evaluate how is that going to affect me how is that going to affect my wife and my children and my brother? Because it's not just me as well. I can have an effect on others. I have to examine my choices carefully. Again, I'm the one in control. Um, I have the choice, and so I've got to be very careful about everything that I choose, and I have to examine what it's going to do. And lastly, there's, there's consequences to change. I didn't really emphasize that, but, but Judah suffered consequences. He lost his sons. He lost a wife. He was shamed for his sin. There were were consequences for what he did. And those things couldn't be done away with. But he was able to still change and do good and live with those consequences and be the person that God wanted him to be. So I hope this morning that this lesson has brought you hope and encouraged you and reminded us all that we can change and we can grow and we could become the person that God wants us to be. If you're here this morning and, and you haven't made that commitment to God, you have not 
come to the realization that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins and that through baptism you can be have remission of sins and forgiveness of sins and, and you can be uh, a Christian, a servant, a follower of Christ and be on, on the road and on the path to heaven. But it's a, it's a constant effort. It's constant work. And we all have to be about that work every day until our time is done. So if you're here this morning and, and that's something you want to do and you want to uh, make your life with God, we can certainly help you with that. If you're a Christian and you have not been living the way that you need to and, and you need to start making change in your life, you can do that as well. And we certainly would love to pray and encourage anyone who might be in that situation. Whatever your need is this morning, if we can help you, if you come forward now as we stand in the